In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Welcome to another bonus episode for Strange Planet Plus members. Yeah, that's right. This podcast has been given a fresh coat of paint, shall we say. It's now called Strange Planet, not Conspiracy Unlimited. This episode is the first of a two-parter, maybe even a three-parter, with documentary filmmaker Mike Wallach of Paradigm Shift Films. The viral delusion, the tragic pseudoscience of SARS-CoV-2 and the madness of modern virology is a five-part series. And if you saw Mickey Willis's two documentaries, Plandemic and Plandemic 2, I know you're going to appreciate this conversation. The viral delusion series follows the doctors, scientists, and journalists who examined in detail the scientific papers that were used to justify the pandemic. And what they found is shattering. Mike Wallach is a Hollywood screenwriter and the producer of The Viral Delusion. Mike Wallach, welcome. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm really grateful to be on your show. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Wow, what a project. Five, a five-part uh, documentary series. What is this, somewhere between seven and nine hours? Yeah, it's a, it's a little over seven hours uh, when, you really, when, you, you know, when you really sink in there and, and get into it. But everybody binge watches these days, so uh, it's great binge watching. Hopefully. Right, right. So in, in this series, you follow a, a group of doctors around uh, who looked at the original scientific papers that were used to justify the pandemic and, and then the lockdowns and all of the restrictions and the vaccine mandates and so forth. And what did they find in a nutshell? I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's earth shattering what they found. Um, what they found 
it was that these papers never actually showed the discovery of a new virus. Um, what they what they found was that the the methods that were used to have claimed the discovery of a virus were were totally invalid. Uh, they the, the, at the end of the day, they're, they're pseudoscience, uh, really. And um, you know, you could have used the same methods to have claimed that you had discovered uh, cooties was about to take over the world, or um, you know, or or an invasion of uh, of aliens. Um, it, it, they were scientific methods that you could use to claim almost anything. And, uh, and, and that's what's so earth shattering about it is that there's, they, they, they literally, they, there's, they never found, you know, there's, there's no proof that they ever found a virus. And, um, and, and they were so, some of the doctors and some of the scientists were so shocked by it. It led them to go down the rabbit hole of medical history. And some of the doctors and scientists had already gone down that rabbit hole. And they discovered that the entire idea of viruses was um, not, not based on real science. Uh, it, it's, it's a superstition that's, that's, uh, that's been um, sort of thrown out there. And, and, and it's a very convenient superstition, but it's not a scientific one. Right. And as we'll uh, discuss a little bit later, this, uh, this isn't unique to SARS-CoV-2. This, this is history repeating itself uh, in terms of, uh, you know, trying to identify this novel virus and the methods they used to claim that this was, you know, causing disease like AIDS or polio or smallpox. Um, so let's talk about uh, some of the, uh, the doctors that feature in this documentary series, A Viral Delusion. Uh, just sort of introduce us to some of these uh, these individuals. I mean, they're really remarkable um, human beings. Um, it's a mix of doctors and scientists and uh, journalists. Um, and uh, and honestly, there were so many um, there are so many doctors and scientists who are uh, who have realized this that I couldn't fit them all in the documentary. Um, I, I had some doctors and scientists that were uh, quite upset at me for for uh, not getting them into the dock because they wanted, you know, they, they wanted to speak out. Um, but, but just to tell you about some of them, um, you know, uh, and, and your, your listeners may know of some of them. Um, doctor wise, uh, Dr. Andrew Kaufman, um, you know, he, he's a psychiatrist, but he did his uh, undergraduate degree in microbiology at MIT. So he was unintimidated by, uh, you know, reading the methodology sections of these, um, virology papers that were put out there. Um, Dr. Tom Cowan, who's a longtime uh, general practitioner. Um, th th there's other doctors as well, but sci scientists, uh, Stefan Lanka, who uh, was trained as a virologist, has his PhD in virology, um, but then realized, uh, you know, more than 25 years ago that um, the whole thing was a sham and has been speaking out for, for many years now. Um, Dr. Stefano uh, Scolio, uh, he has his PhD in biochemistry. Uh, he was nominated for the Nobel Prize by the uh, U.S. Um, uh, Assistant Surgeon General in the past. Um, Dr. Kevin Corbett, who was a, uh, a nurse uh, for a very long time uh, at the AIDS ward that Princess Diana uh, commissioned 
Uh, and so he was dealing with this in a very um, personal manner and was so uh, shaken uh, by what he was seeing uh, up front that he went back and got his PhD uh, looking specifically at the testing and, and uh, what impacts uh, the fraudulent testing was having on uh, the community of, of uh, AIDS patients uh, in London or, or people that were being uh, told that they were HIV positive by a fraudulent test. Um, so it's really, it's, it's like an all-star cast of uh, absolutely brilliant, compassionate um, doctors and scientists who, who are trying to speak out. Um, Celia, Celia Farber, uh, she's a journalist who's been covering uh, the, the uh, you know, this story for 30 years. Um, she was a young, young, young reporter in New York City when, um, when uh, AIDS uh, first uh, hit uh, New York City. And she, uh, you know, she started covering it as a journalist and uh, started reporting on the fact that there were numerous, um, very, you know, influential scientists who were speaking out saying, um, Fauci's claim that HIV, that there was a virus called HIV and that that was the cause of AIDS, uh, that, that there were numerous scientists who were speaking out saying that's, that's completely unsupported by the scientific record. And they were very upset about it. Uh, of course, they got far more upset when uh, Fauci and, and, and uh, NIH started uh, pushing um, the, the toxic uh, you know, drug AZT on people who had been diagnosed with HIV. Um, and so she was, she was reporting on uh, stories that have just resurfaced now a little bit of uh, the experiment, uh, experimentation that um, Fauci oversaw on uh, orphaned uh, children in the Bronx uh, that were completely healthy, but uh, they gave the, the repurposed chemotherapy drug AZT to these, uh, to these children. And all, you know, the vast majority of these children died. Uh, it's 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 real tragedy, and a lot of people aren't willing to look under this rock. But it's it it's very deep. It's very tragic, and it's. An, I mean, I was just blown away by the story. I'm guessing this this documentary series, The Viral Delusion, has an uh, an interesting origin story or backstory. Like, I'm interested like, as a producer. Do you come up with this is, you know, this is the subject you want to cover and you go looking for the experts or in this case, did they come looking for you? It was it, it was a little bit of both. I mean, I, I once I realized this story, once I got once I understood what the story was, I went looking for the doctors and scientists who could tell the story. And I and I was nervous. I mean, I, I've been writing a screenwriting in Hollywood for a long time. And uh, but I've never made a documentary before, and uh, I knew that it basically wasn't going to get made unless they just got up and did it. Uh, and so, you know, I, I but I wasn't the kind of guy who would like pick up the phone and call people. It, it just I, I was a little nervous about that. But what I discovered was that all these incredible scientists were dying to speak out and they had been silenced. You know, a lot of these guys had been silenced. Um, you know, one doctor that, that I spoke with, Sam Bailey. She, um, you know, she had been a, like a TV doctor, like she was, she was a, a, a general practitioner, but you know, once in she New started, Zealand, I think in New Zealand, right? In New Zealand. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she was onto the fraud pretty early on 
and she started speaking out about it uh, on her YouTube channel. And pretty quickly, uh, she was uh, disinvited from all of her television appearances. And then uh, the medical board came after her uh, in New Zealand and the media started attacking her. And, um, and she stood up to it all, you know, she, she got a lawyer and said, you know, tell me a single thing that I've said that's not true. And they all backed down. Um, you know, they, they never could, you know, she was just telling the truth, but, um, but, you know, she was very frustrated. Uh, you know, when I first reached out to her, she said, Mike, I'd love to help you, but, um, I'm, I'm too scared right now. And then, uh, because she was, she had all these people coming down on her. And then a, a few months later, I reached back out to her and she said, uh, no, I'd, I'd love to be a part of this now. I'm, I'm not scared of these people anymore. You know, it's interesting when you look at the uh, at social media, for example, and things that three months ago, six months ago, certainly a year ago would have gotten you deplatformed, censored. Now it's it's starting to come out in little dribs and drabs, like they're, they're loosening the grip, you know, on the on the golf club uh, for some reason. Uh, and so when I when um, I became aware of you and and uh, your series of viral delusion, of course, I thought of uh, Mickey Willis and Plandemic, and 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 how um, I guess I talked to him maybe six months ago, uh, and how that was sort of billed as the most censored and banned documentary in history. Anything changed in that six months? Like for you, is it still really heavy sledding getting this out there, this the word out there, or is it starting to ease a little bit? Um, it's still pretty heavy sledding. Um, you know, I think, I think uh, there's, there's sort of an upside and a downside. I think the downside is, you know, like I tried to put out a press release, uh, last week about the documentary and 10 minutes after I sent the press release out, I got called back by the company and they said, uh, we're so sorry, but, um, you know, PR Newswire, uh, who's the only company that puts out, uh, press releases. Uh, PR, they, they, they refused to release your press release. Uh, so this, somebody at PR Newswire within 10 minutes decided that 100,000 journalists don't have the right to judge this story for themselves, whether or not they, 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 they want to run this story or even think about or even know of this story. Um, so, you know, on that level, I think there's, you know, there's still a huge clampdown. You know, we... Uh, you know, we're obviously taken off of YouTube, you know, the trailer was taken off of YouTube within a couple of hours. Um, you know, but, uh, at the same time, I'm talking to a lot of people who, um, I think are, are open to, uh, listening, uh, to this story. I think maybe in a way that they weren't a year ago. Um, yeah, there, there seems to be a sense of, you know what? there's something about the whole thing that doesn't smell right. And, um, and we want to know what it is. And, um, and, and so I think there's, there's a new level of interest there. Yeah, for sure. So let's tell people how they can, they can watch uh, this five part documentary series, the viral delusion. Oh, great. Um, yeah, just, just go to the viral delusion.com and, uh, uh, you can see the, the first episode, which is two and a half hours long. Uh, for free um it's it you know we just want to we want to get that out there and uh, let people see it and then if you are interested and you want to learn more um then you can see the whole package of episodes uh it's eleven dollars 
Um, and, uh, and we go through, we go all through history back to polio, um, the Spanish flu, we go all the way back to the, to the plague, um, because, uh, there's, there's been a lot of salesmanship that's dressing itself up as science. And if you, uh, especially in explaining the past as well as the present, and if you just look at history, um, you can see that that story is just not true. Um, and so the doctors and scientists take it apart and we look at what, what, what's more likely to have really happened than the story of uh, uh, these uh, viruses um, suddenly emerging out of nowhere and then suddenly disappearing. TheViralDelusion.com, TheViralDelusion.com, Mike Wallach, producer, is with us, five-part documentary series. So let's go back to the beginning, at least as far as COVID is concerned. And when, when these doctors are talking about identifying a new, um, a new virus um, and, and isolating a, a virus, what does that mean? Let's define some terms. What do they mean by isolating a, a novel virus? Well, that's that. I mean, <laughs> right there, right there in that sentence, we could unpack that for a long time because that this is one of the big things. Um, so first of all, let's 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 explain what a virus is or is supposed to be. Right. So a virus, the word virus, uh, it's uh, Latin for poison, and it's based on the idea that um, it, uh, around around the turn of, of the 20th century, there was this idea that um, people are getting sick and we can't see anything under the microscope as to why they're getting sick. So there maybe there's a little tiny particle that we can't see that's making them sick. Uh, so they, they, they had this idea and they called it a virus. It was just an idea. Uh, and then in the 50s, in the 1950s, um, they did some, uh, there was some experiments done um, that were uh, certainly not uh, anything you could conclude anything from, but they, uh, again, they theorized that maybe this little thing is, uh, you know, got some uh, genetic material on the inside of it. And, and, and they started to come up with sort of a theoretical model for what it would look like. And, um, but they, they never actually could, could find that thing. They could never, it was all in the, it was all in the mind's eye. Okay. Um, well, fast forward to today, uh, they still can't isolate what they call or believe exists, this thing called a virus. Okay. They say that they can isolate it. But they actually can't. And this is, this is the first uh, deception. It's what Dr. Mark Bailey calls the first of, uh, of the deceptions. And when we say virus, we're not just talking about the COVID uh, or the SARS-CoV-2 virus. We're talking about an influenza virus, a polio virus, a smallpox virus, as a, uh, apart from bacteria and germs. We, we've never been able to isolate any virus. Is that what you're saying? That, that, that's, that's correct. And, you know, um, it sounds crazy, right? It sounds crazy, but um, it's not, this is not just the doctors and scientists that, that I interviewed. You know, there's an activist named Christine Massey who uh, kept writing, um, she's written to more than a hundred governments uh, uh, saying, can you submit the paper to me 
that shows that you've isolated the SARS-CoV-2 virus? In fact, can you submit any paper that shows that you've isolated any virus? And uh, she's written to the CDC and the NIH and many times, and they, and they send her back papers that saying, no, we, we, we don't have a paper that shows that we've isolated a virus in the way that you define it. We'll get to that. And finally, they got very fed up with her. And about six months ago, uh, somebody at the, uh, I believe it's the CDC, uh, wrote her a, a letter and it, and it simply said, listen, we can't isolate viruses in the way that you define. It's impossible. The field of virology cannot do that. Please stop writing us. Hmm. And so it's like, well, there it is. And Dr. Stefano Scolio, he says, look, <laughs> that, that, with that letter alone, the whole field of virology should be shut down. Shut down. It's, it's, it's a joke. But we saw the, we saw the, the you know, headlines up here in Toronto, for example, Sunnybrook Hospital, which isn't too far from where I'm sitting, uh, claiming that they had isolated, quote, end quote, the, um, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. We saw other headlines from other institutions claiming that they had isolated the virus. Now, according to their narrative, what do they mean by they've isolated it? Okay, so we're, we're getting to the nut of the story here. Um, there's dozens of papers that claim that they have isolated a virus. But when you, um, when you read the methodologies of those papers, which is where the, the, the story really lies, uh, you discover that they've completely perverted the meaning of the word isolation. They've, they've, literally, uh, they've literally flipped its meaning. Um, so, I mean, let me ask you, as just in a common sense term, what does the word isolate mean to you? Uh, it, it means to extract and separate and make sure that you only have that that one a particle or material as separate from everything else so that it's it's in its pure form it's uh it's and it's separate from everything else bingo that's that's the common uh daily uh common sense use of the term but uh in 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 the field of virology and really only in the field of virology uh they use the term isolate in a, in an opposite way so what they do is, um, and this, and this is, um, you know, you can look at at, at really any paper uh, in virology, uh, but you know, let's look specifically at the the first paper that came out in which they claimed that they had isolated and discovered the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, so what they did is they took the nasal swab of a sick patient, uh, so basically snot, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and then they added that to what's called a viral transport medium, okay? Because they have to carry the snot to the lab, right? So they put it in like a saline solution that's got some antibiotics in there, okay? And then they took that and they poured that onto lung cancer cells, okay? Cancerous lung cells. And then they called that an isolated virus. Why would they pour that on unhealthy lung cells, a cancerous lung cell? Wouldn't that cell already be unstable, unhealthy? Yes. Dying? Yes. yes. That, is, that is another problem. So we're now going to get to the second deception, if you want. Um, 
so so but but before we do um that that is the that is the the meaning of the term isolation in in virology it's literally to take a a patient swab add it to a viral transport medium medium uh or add it to a, a solution that has antibiotics in it and then add that to what's called a cell culture a group of cells um usually it's either cancerous lung cells uh, or African green monkey uh, kidney cells. Right, Vero, I guess yeah, I call it. Vero cells, exactly. So um, it's 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 the opposite of, of of the term isolation. You're not taking a virus or anything out of the nasal swab. You're adding the nasal swab to other material. Uh, so it's violating the very first fundamental rule of, of the scientific method, which is that you have to have an independent variable that you're then going to do tests on, you know, does X cause Y? Well, you have to have X before you can say whether or not it causes Y. Right. Because um, these first patients from Wuhan, uh, initially it was described as atypical pneumonia. Uh, oh, right. That's right. Which could be anything. I mean, oh, yeah, there's, there, there's, there's more than a million cases of pneumonia in China every year. And, and, and so there, and there are many case, many reasons why somebody could get pneumonia. I mean, air pollution or uh, being too cold, uh, being very elderly. Um, uh, there's there's uh, 72,000 articles in PubMed that, that talk about uh, drug-induced pneumonia. So the side effects of all sorts of pharmaceutical drugs can cause pneumonia. There's, there's a million reasons why uh, these patients could have had pneumonia. And uh, in fact, um, I mean, we'll, maybe we should get to it later, but uh, you know, two of the three patients that, that were claimed to be the first COVID patients uh, had a cough and a flu, uh, well, they had a cough and a fever for three to four days, and then they got better. And they walked out of the hospital. Uh, the only patient of those three that died, uh, he was uh, assumed to have a new virus, and uh, and they put him on a ventilator. And uh, you know, we find out later that that numerous case studies have shown that ninety percent of patients who were put on ventilators died. So it seems that the very, very, very first quote unquote COVID patient actually died from the treatment and not the disease. Right. You're, yeah. You, as you explain in uh, the viral delusion film one or part one, uh, when you intubate someone like that, you, 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 you utilize anesthesia, which is an immunosuppressant and then some sort of a drug that kind of immobilizes that person. So there's mm -hmm. another immunosuppressant. Uh, you're suppressing the immune system that would be used to fight off whatever they whatever they have, uh, and so you're essentially you're hastening their death, as these statistics show. Like, nine, is it nine out of ten um, individuals that are intubated during COVID ended up dying? Yeah, and not just one case. I mean, there are numerous case studies that showed that. In fact, there was a there was a a a, a doctor that was interviewed for the uh, uh, Wall Street Journal who admitted to saying that listen the real reason that we put patients on ventilators was not for the patient's benefit. We knew that the patients uh, were most likely going to die. Uh, we were just afraid that when they breathed, 
they were going to breathe out the virus and and we would all get sick all the all the people in the hospital would get sick so they 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 wanted to essentially they were so desperate to um contain uh what they thought was a new and deadly virus that they were essentially willing to uh gamble with patients lives um and uh you know there were there were nine bullets in the uh, russian roulette chamber and um it, it's it as i say when you when you when you look under this rock it's just uh it gives you the shivers Right. And, and to be even more cynical about it, uh, certainly in the United States, they were also incentivized to put people on um, ventilators through Medicare. Uh, I think it was, was it $35,000? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Ten, ten, tens of thousands of dollars to put, to put people right. on a ventilator. Okay. Yeah. So we're getting back to this idea of uh, isolating a virus and how they were basically taking someone's snot and uh, putting it in a saline solution with antibiotics, uh, putting that on uh, cancerous human lung tissue or uh, monkey kidney uh, tissue, which is um, Vero tissue. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and so how did, from that, did they say we have, we have identified a novel virus? What are they, what are they looking okay. for? Yeah. Okay. So then there's, then there's step two in this uh, witchcraft. Um, the step two is to wait, and see if any of the uh, cells in that mixture uh, begin to die. And if some of the cells in that mixture begin to die, then uh, the virologists make the claim that there must be a virus in this snot. And in fact, uh, in Wuhan, they made the claim that there must be a new virus in this snot because some of these cancerous lung cells uh, died. That's what the they call the cytopathic effect, right? Exactly. That's called the cytopathic effect. Exactly. Uh, the problem with <laughs> one of the problems with that claim is that they, they never proved that A, a virus is the only thing that could have killed those uh, cells. And uh, more important, um, they never proved that uh, those cells wouldn't die, even if there were no quote unquote viruses in that mixture whatsoever. And if we look at the scientific literature, uh, we could see um, that later on, uh, a group of scientists decided to test uh, this same uh, snot mixture of another patient who uh, was believed to have uh, COVID and, and who they claimed uh, had, quote unquote, SARS-CoV-2 in them. And they put it on non-cancerous lung cells. And what they found was that the cells did not die. So they did not see a cytopathic effect. And uh, so the conclusion uh, from those at the top of the scientific establishment should have been that the cells died because they were cancerous and unstable, which is uh, obviously the case. Instead, the uh, report uh, in a different scientific paper uh, about the uh, non-cancerous lung cells not dying when the snot was put on them, it was ignored. It was just simply ignored by the scientific establishment. And even by the authors of that paper themselves, 
they simply noted it and went on with their study. Um, so, and then of course, Stefan Lanka, who is a former virologist, was able to convince a lab uh, to repeat the same experiment, um, but without uh, any viral matter whatsoever for, sh for sure. And he also saw the cells die in the test tube. Right, because they may be also reacting to the antibiotics. I mean, this is a whole soup you're putting in a saline solution, antibiotics, um, and that's going to interact with the cell. And so there's going to be, um, I don't know what you would call them, some like shards or whatever coming off of these cells. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, one of the one of the really extraordinary things that um, you know, I think Tom, Dr. Tom Cowan points out so well in the documentary is that, um, you know, literally the, the antibiotics that are, that are put into this soup are kidney toxic antibiotics. And then they're running the experiment chiefly with kidney tissue, with, with monkey kidney tissue. So it's, it's, it's well known that these antibiotics will cause problems in kidney cells. But then, you know, they see the problems. And instead of saying, hey, maybe the antibiotics that were added to this solution uh, caused the cell death, they, they, they not only, uh, they, they claim that it, it, it has to be that there was a virus in the snot. So that's, that's the second uh, deception is the, is the cytopathic effect, is claiming that the only thing, the only reason why these cells might have died was that uh, there was a virus, a new virus even, um, instead of recognizing that uh, it's quite obvious that the, that the cells might have died for other reasons. So if, if a virologist, like some of the people that appear in the viral delusion, were to argue that point, that let's face it, the cytopathic effect, not a very reliable way of identifying or isolating a virus, they'll come back at you and say, ah, oh, but we have other ways. Yes. We, have, we can take pictures. Yes. Of these virus. So tell me about their, the, uh, the, the portraits. <laughs> the pictures, the pictures are, the pictures are really phenomenal. I mean, so, so, uh, so that exactly. And, and that's what most of the, um, Orthodox, uh, scientists that I spoke with, you know, they, they, they came back, uh, in discussions with me saying, oh, but we have pictures and, and then we get to the quote unquote genetic sequencing. But let's talk about the pictures because it's really great. Um, so, so they then take this mixture, this snot antibiotic uh, monkey kidney cell mixture and they put it uh, under an electron microscope, okay? And you have to do all sorts of things to it just to get it under the electron microscope. Like you have to uh, shave metal on top of it and you know slice little pieces of it and, and so on and there's other steps too um uh but but they put it under an electron microscope and when they do that they can see circles essentially they can see some circles and and these these slides are quite quite huge i mean there's there's you know it's like thousands of little you know tiny little shapes and so on in there um, but w when they see circles, if they're 
virologist. So in the virology papers, like the original Wuhan paper and the papers that followed, they saw circles and they said, ah, well, our conception of a virus is that it's a circle. So that must be the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That must be the virus that we're looking for. But of course, that's, that's, that's backwards logic. You're, 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 you know, it, it's, it, it, it's circular reasoning is what it is because you've started with the assumption that there's a virus there and then when you see a circle and say, well, that's our, our assumed idea of what a virus is, you see a circle, you say, aha, we found it. But, you know, I could do the same thing with uh, unicorn hoof prints where I could say, I, uh, I think that a tiny little unicorn was trompsing around in somebody's nose and left circular footprints. Well, let's put it under the electron microscope and boom, I see circles. There must have been a tiny unicorn. People are listening to this, I'm, I'm guessing, are thinking, wait a minute, there's got to be more to it than this. This is, I mean, it's so obvious. The, <laughs> the, the, the I mean, here's the thing. I, mean, I, I have it like, my knowledge is like grade 10 biology. That's as far as I went in science. I mean, I, and I can, I'm listening to this and saying, wait a minute, this is a joke, right? It's a joke. It's a joke. But, you know, as, as, as the uh, scientific philosopher Thomas Kuhn said, you know, science uh, doesn't change when uh, the science is proven wrong. Uh, science changes over generations when the people who know it's wrong assume power within the scientific community. And there's a huge difference between those two things. Uh, and I think that's really what's going on. Uh, Richard Feynman, the, uh, the physicist, also uh, pointed out this problem in science. He called um, you know, these, uh, this kind of science, uh, cargo cults. Mm. Uh, he said there's huge cults within the scientific community that practice pseudoscience uh, as if they were on an island and um, the, the, a cargo ship came and dropped off supplies. And then they would start doing science to figure out when the next ship's going to come by saying, you know, three birds flew overhead before the last ship came. So let's be on the lookout for three birds and you know, lightning struck a week before. So everybody, you know, be on the lookout for lightning. So it's, it's really, um, if you know scientific history, um, it's not that surprising. Uh, so, but they, they call it a coronavirus because it looks like a crown and they see these, these spikes sticking out of this object, this circle on their big slide. Uh, and they decided that must be We'll call it a coronavirus because it's got spikes. It looks like a crown. Uh, how did how is it that they they were able to see these these spikes? Uh, well, look, <laughs> that's the great thing is that in, in in some of these papers they weren't even able to see these spikes uh, when they looked under the electron microscope. They were only able to see circles, and uh, and so they added. Uh, a, a chemical called trypsin, which is an enzyme that eats away at the outside of cellular material. And so it was only after they added this chemical trypsin that they were able to uh, see that the, the, the so-called, that this little, you know, particle in the, uh, under the electron microscope began to look like it had spikes.
And, um, you know, the metaphor that, that, uh, Tom Cowan says is, you know, it's, it's like, it's like, if I imagine that I, I had pieces of wood that were shaped like a star inside my trunk and I looked inside the trunk and there was no wood shaped like a star. So I called a carpenter and I had him cut the wood into star shape. And then I said, see, I knew there was star shaped wood in there the whole time. It's, 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 it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. And, and let me again say, this is, um, this is, it's in the scientific literature. Uh, the, the fact that you cannot look through an electron microscope and identify a virus is repeated over and over and over again in the scientific literature. And um, because there's many, there are many particles uh, that have the exact same shape that uh, the people who claim they found viruses are saying is the shape of a virus. You can look under a microscope and you can see circles left, right, and center, and uh, that, that, that are indistinguishable from what are called viruses. So to say, and, and these, you know, these, the, in, depending on which field of science you're in, they have different names. Um, so a, a popular one is uh, exosome. Uh, there are many researchers who, who look at these uh, particles uh, and, and call them exosomes and essentially say these are uh, perfectly regular uh, aspects of a dying cell. Um, and uh, there, but there are many names for them because frankly, uh, microbiologists don't have a full understanding of the human body yet and, um, and, or, or even of a cell culture. So they look at these circles and they say, you cannot say based on an electron microscope image, whether you are seeing an exosome or what you imagine to be a virus. It's repeated over and over and over again. But again, what matters is not what's out there in the scientific record. What matters politically is what do the people at the very top of the scientific establishment, what do they pick out as the important salient points to sell to the public? And those ideas, those ideas they never, they never point out. They only point out the, the ones that have been convenient to the idea that there's a new virus and we should all be scared. Mike Wallach is producer of The Viral Delusion, a five-part documentary series, and you can screen the first one for free and then uh, pay uh, a minimum of $11 or $12 and uh, have access to the other four films, seven and a half hours of uh, viewing at theviraldelusion.com, theviraldelusion.com. Uh, the third method they claim they can identify viruses is a little more complicated. It has to do with uh, genetic sequencing. And I don't want to spend too much time on, on that, but just kind of give us a, the kind of a, a quick summary of, of this claim that they can identify the, the COVID-2 virus with genetic sequencing. Yeah, absolutely. It's really important. And uh, it, it's, it's really, again, it's totally fascinating and totally amazing. Uh, so they claim that, uh, like in the first paper in Wuhan, uh, after the photographs, uh, they then claim to have genetically sequenced this new virus. But again, they never separated out the virus, uh, the theoretical virus, from the whole soup, this whole mixture. 
um, the snot, the antibiotics, and in the first case, the cancerous lung cells. Uh, so they have this, gi this gigantic mixture, and uh, they, they claim to, uh, to, to take the um, genetic sequence of it. But what they really do, okay, what they really do is they catalog all of the RNA that's in this soup, okay? They, billions of pieces of RNA. And they have a computer catalog that RNA. And then they tell the computer, we would, we would like you to see if you can come up with um, any combinations of, of, of those pieces of RNA that fit our model, our, our theoretical idea of what a virus should look like. Okay. And the computer then says, okay, uh, let, let's see what we can do. And it runs the math on that and it outputs back to them thousands upon thousands of what are called contigs or hypothetical versions of RNA sequences. Okay. And uh, that, that, you know, theoretically the RNA that's in this soup could have been combined like that. Okay. And then what happened in Wuhan is the, uh, the scientists there then read those thousands of contigs and they said, hmm, well, this contig, this one here, number 435, it, it's kind of almost the length of what we imagine a virus to be. And it's 89% similar to one of the thousands of contigs that we saw when we ran a bat snot in the computer. So that must be it. That must be it. That must be the new virus. So boom, they then said, that's it. Number, well, you know, 439. This must be the virus that this man, that killed this man. Wow. <laughs> so it's a computer generated sequence. It's yeah, not it's, biological. It's, 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 it's computer generated. They catalog all the RNA. Now it's very different than uh, genetic sequencing when they like sequence the human genome or they sequence a mouse genome or they even sequence the, 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 the genes of a bacteria or something like that. In, the, in that case, they're able to take the bacteria, they're able to isolate it, so they only have the bacteria. And then they snip off the nucleotides that are in the soup one by one so they could say, oh, A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D, boom, boom, boom. And they can actually tell you that's what was there. We know that the genome of a mouse is this because we had a mouse on its own but they never had a virus on its own. They never had a SARS-CoV-2 on its own. They only had some guy in China's snot mixed with cancerous lung cells, mixed with antibiotics. And they cataloged it all and then decided that one, one of the possible theoretical combinations in there was SARS-CoV-2. So the way I like to explain it, to people sometimes is like my son is really into Legos and uh, I mean, he's been into it for years. So we have lots of Lego sets and 
imagine a bag of Legos that has like 30 billion pieces in there. And I told you that in that bag, there was a perfect replica of the White House, right? A perfect replica. Somewhere in that bag of 30 billion pieces, there's a perfect replica of the White House. And you said, well, prove it to me. And instead of going in the bag and looking for the replica of the White House, instead, I had a computer catalog the billions of pieces that are in the bag. And then I had it output to me every possible way that those pieces could be combined. And one of them, one of those ways was 89% similar to something close to the White House. And I said, look, do you see this computer printout? Obviously, there was a perfect replica of the White House in that Lego bag. Oh, man. Wow. You know what I'd like, to, I'd like to do, Mike, with your permission? I'm going to leave it here. This is going to be part one. If you're up for it, I'd like to come back next week and, and do another episode. Would you be good for that? I would love that. I'd be really grateful. Okay. So again, uh, it's The Viral Delusion, five-part documentary series available at theviraldelusion.com. The first one, which is just over two hours long, you get to screen for free. That's going to whet your appetite. And then you pay... Is it eleven ninety nine? $11.99. And you get to watch the other four episodes. Seven and a half hours of uh, it's really compelling, very riveting stuff, just uh, chock full of great information. And uh, the doctors and scientists and journalists that are featured in this series are, are so believable. So we're going to leave it there and we'll pick it up part two next week. Mike, thanks so much for this. Oh, Richard, thank you so much. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.